Hello and welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. It is brought to you this week by ExpressVPN and Casper. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell and I'm joined as always by my co-host Stephen Hackett. Hello. Hello, Jason. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, it feels like the new year uh, is finally like shaking off the rust or whatever and the government sh- shutdowns and all sorts of stuff and things are happening in space. And here and in Texas. Not here, but in Texas. Things are happening. Things are happening in Florida. Yeah. Things are happening at the edge of the solar system. It's a busy time. Busy. Busy time. Lot go- lots going on. Busy time. I was thinking just this morning and, and doing the prep for the show that it's been a while since we've done like a science explainer episode, but there's so much news. It's like we need things to take co- pause for a little while so we can go talk about Neptune or something. But, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that too. We're going to have to get back to that. Also, we've the, you know, the Apollo uh, 50th is mm-hmm. taking a lot of our time, but I'm sure we're going to get back to... Uh, I've been re- Actually, I've been reading a bunch of science-related books lately, and that usually will spawn me wanting to do an explainer episode about something. Yes. So I re- just read the Einstein biography. I'm reading the one of the Feynman biographies now. So, you know, maybe we'll learn how to build an atomic bomb later. <laughs> so we'll have uh, Jason Snell uh, book club hour, <laughs> book yeah. report. Yeah. We spoke last time about the SpaceX Starship. So this is its... Hopper, I'm putting Hopper in air quotes, Hopper rocket to work through some of the technology used uh, for its next sort of next level vehicles. And we mentioned last time that it's built out of stainless steel and it's covered in like a thin, shiny uh, metal as well. And we talked a little bit about maybe why they would use stainless steel. And Elon Musk had an interview at Popular Mechanics. Uh, That link is in the show notes. But basically, it comes down to several things. I think we were right about basically everything we said. Uh, but one thing that I hadn't really considered was just the price. And so uh, this is quoting from Musk talking to the magazine saying that carbon fiber is like almost $200 a kilogram because you have to scrap like 35% of it as you work with it. He said it's very difficult to work with, which I, I would imagine uh, as steel is like $3 a kilogram, <laughs> massively cheaper to work with. And to if you have scrap or something easier to recycle, scrap carbon fiber apparently is a nightmare to deal with. So you have the the cost angle, and there's the things that that we talked about that it uh, it can be lightweight, it can be uh, easy to work with. You don't have to have someone who's like specially trained in dealing with carbon fiber and molds and all that stuff. Like finding people who can work with steel is a more common skill set. Um, and something, too, is that it can handle both the very cold and the very hot temperatures that it will experience. It can handle that actually pretty well. So this is like a, sta- a hardened stainless steel that is designed to be in a bunch of different applications. And if you think about something like a rocket, you have very cold temperatures with uh, the fuel being uh, you know, very, very cold, keeping that uh, keeping that density high so you can load more propellant on. And then it's very hot when you have things like engines burning and you have reentry you re-entry. have to survive. <laughs> yeah. uh, reentry is warm, you know. Um, and then again, if you're, you know, up really high in the atmosphere or out in space, it's cold there too. So, uh, sort of interesting that he walked through this. And in, the, in this interview, uh, he's asked, like, well, you know, how did the engineering team sort of take your. Uh, suggestion on this like oh yeah like it took me a while to talk them into it like this is a sort of an unusual way to do things now but 
uh, he he seems like must seems to think that this could be a way forward for them, at least on this vehicle. I don't think that they SpaceX is saying that this is what's going to be on the real deal. But at least for now, at least for this test vehicle, they're going to use stainless steel. Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll see. It's fascinating, the idea of the material science. And I got the sense from that interview with Musk that he's very much saying, um, like, we thought it would be really cool and clever to use carbon fiber. And then we realized that, you know, in, in the end, something that's more boring uh, is actually way better. Right. <laughs> and I think there's I think there's a tendency among especially these billionaires who are trying to reinvent space to think, well, uh, we're going to do cool modern stuff and not this boring tried and true stuff. And then you go through that process and, and you end up coming back to, oh, this is why mm-hmm. it's tried and true. I understand now. It's a little bit like, not to draw uh, it's, uh, too far a parallel, but it's a little like saying these space capsules are dumb. We're going to build a space shuttle. Oh, and no. then everybody would be like, hmm, <laughs> maybe the capsules aren't so bad. We'll just do modern capsules. Maybe that was the right approach after all, even though it's not, it's old and not cool. Maybe it's the right way for reasons. And I, uh, I feel like uh, Elon Musk is doing a little bit of that. I imagine he's done that throughout his time at SpaceX, too, where he's had, like, pushes his people to be like, why don't we do it a new way? And sometimes they're like, yeah, this is this, the, this is the way to do it. We're going to reuse the rockets. It's going to be awesome. And then other times they're like, Mm-mm, no, tried and true is the way to go. So Sometimes the old ways are best. Uh, but what happened, Stephen? What, what <laughs> you, you, you left out an important part of that story, which is that uh, that something happened to the little spaceship test guy. It fell down. (laughs) So this is being put together in Texas. SpaceX has a large facility there. And they had some high winds come through. And so I've read a couple of things. It seems like at the very least, like the nose cone, like the upper section fell down. I got blown over. Uh, Maybe the whole thing. It sustained some damage. and uh, But it's not a loss. Musk said that he it could be repaired. That'll take a few weeks, and then it should be kind of back on target. But yeah, the Starship Hopper um, got blown over in the wind. and The wind, the wind. You build something for those cold temperatures and for the, the temperature of reentry, and then the wind gets you. There's some irony in that, I suppose. You know, it's, it's, it's a bummer. But anyways, they yeah. say that it's, it's fixable, oh. but it is funny. So we have some uh, commercial crew uh, news because the government has has started to awaken from its slumber. That is also this is sort of like the the pre flight checklist. The prefect is uh, heavy on the SpaceX this time. I feel like they were waiting for the government to reopen so that they could do <laughs> stuff. Like you're you know you're standing outside and you're waiting. It's like come on, turn the sign over that says we're open so we can get in there. Um, so there's a commercial crew update. Uh, they've been talking about this month launching their commercial crew test, which is not with people. This is the one where they use the Crew Dragon. So it's the capsule that's rated for people, but they're going to do a test without people in it. And now, uh, so they did the hot fire test where it's, you know, it's basically out there ready to go and they fire up the engines a little bit just to kind of give it a test. That happened five days ago as we, uh, as we record this on the 24th of January, the government is open for business and uh, SpaceX says that as early as February 23rd, they could do this launch again, not the flight with the real astronauts. Uh, but, uh, according to, we'll put a link in the show notes to a nice Ars Technica story about this, that, um, they're still kind of targeting summer. Uh, and I, I think Elon Musk said summer and, uh, Eric at Ars Technica, who is wise about these things said, so late summer or early fall, then just build in that, that fudge factor. And that's assuming everything goes well with the test, but it looks like, 
we might actually get a flight of the crew dragon, which is necessary. That That is the beginning of the story of SpaceX doing commercial crew. Absolutely. So this... This hopefully makes this date. You know, there's a, n- another potential government shutdown on the horizon, but hopefully they can they can get this get this done. Uh, they did the um, hot fire test a couple days ago. It's like they're they're ready to go, but you got to have your government partners there ready to go as well. So, but it's a big step. Like you said, this feels like the gateway into commercial crew in a big way. Like, okay, mm-hmm. this vehicle is going to be the one. Uh, this is really exciting that it's so close. If they can they can fly a human rated spacecraft and take it up and then bring it back, that is like okay. Then then they're open for business. At which point they will send people, and that's the next one. So it's a uh, again we're still looking like 2019 could be the year where uh, American space launches put astronauts back into space. So that would be good since it's been what 2011 was the last space shuttle mo- launch. It's been a while. Been, it has coming been. up eight years now. It's not not great. Not great at all. Uh, it's not the only SpaceX story, and of course, not the only vehicle. Uh, the Falcon Heavy, which flew last year as sort of a demo flight, uh, we've talked some about they're getting customers signed on, and it seems like uh, that could be the next one could actually be pretty soon. So, uh, no earlier than March seventh, it would be uh, from Florida. Do you actually know? If they can launch the Falcon Heavy from from Vandenberg, I don't know if their launch facility there can handle the, the heavy or not. I don't know, and I think traditionally the ones that are requiring the big heavy loads want to don't are are um, either leaving the planet, in which case they want to be from Florida, right? Because it's generally easier um, rather than being in a polar orbit. But I would imagine they can, but I don't know. I haven't heard any discussion of it being launched from anywhere, but. But Kennedy at this point. And this is the uh, Arabsat 6A that they're going to launch. Again, I imagine that being the second launch of Falcon Heavy, there's a little bit of a discount because you get the sense this is still considered kind of like early days, risky, somewhat experimental. They're going to do that mind-blowing thing where they launch uh, the whole thing and then the two side boosters come off and return back and land side by side. And they're once again going to try to land the central core on a drone ship out in the ocean. That didn't quite make it last time, but they're going to try that again. And then um, on top of that, so the reason this is they were waiting for the government to file like papers and get approval for this because there's like an approval process that you have to go through. And they also filed for a third Falcon Heavy mission. And the idea there is that they want to do a quick turnaround on the items that they used um, and as early as April, which seems kind of ridiculously ambitious, but it is SpaceX, uh, to do a an additional launch, which would include some Air Force cargo, as well as a uh, solar sail demonstration from the Planetary Society, which is kind of cool. But that is. really is going to require, for the quick turnaround, it's going to require them to land the boosters, and I think to land that central core, so that they can very quickly uh, refurb it all and put it back out there. But they're, th- this is what they're trying to do, is is demo the ability to, to launch and recycle Falcon Heavy. Which is great, and being able to do it so soon in the vehicle's life, like it's a testament to what they've been able to do with the Falcon Nine. And of course, these these cores are more or less Falcon Nines. The center one is beefed up a little bit, but it's it's building on what they already know, and that's that's great. Like I hope they have success in this and show that recycling rockets isn't just for like quote unquote little rockets. You can do it with serious heavy lift vehicles as well. Um, and we have a we have one last pre-flight update that is not from SpaceX at all. It is instead from the outer reaches of the solar system. We do. So the the New Horizons project 
again, we, we spoke about this. Data is going to come out slowly over the next while. And some of that actually came out over the break. Uh, they they had some things out, but they're back uh, now with a, a new high-res image. And uh, it's pretty incredible. So we, we spoke about this the day – uh, the day after the flyby, about the the two lobes at Ultima Thule, th- there's like a uh, a light colored region where they connect, and you can see that really clearly in this image. But you can also see that whatever that light material is uh, exists elsewhere. Like this thing looks like it's sort of pieced together, and you can almost sort of sit back and sort of squint your eyes a little bit and imagine that whatever this white material is is sort of the glue holding it together, like. This is not a solid object, right? It's believed actually that it's built up by several things that slowly got pulled together by their own gravity. And this picture sort of, I can see that, see how uh, we would end up there. But it is uh, a a pretty remarkable image. And I think the clearest that we've seen so far, this was tweeted by um, John Hopkins APL just, uh, just a few days ago. Yeah. And it's, there will be theoretically, there will be higher, um, higher res images that that are coming because this is pretty close but it was not at the closest point of the flyby but uh so there's more to come but um getting a lot of detail on this very small object but that they were also very close to mm-hmm. yeah so we finally see the peanut or the snowman or whatever it is it is i i, I lean more and more towards snowman mm-hmm. as the time goes on but uh, so yeah, that's uh, that is our pre-flight checklist. Prefect, Very nice. prefect, prefect. I'm still getting my arms around that one. Well, somebody suggested that we do a draft of ridiculous, um, ridiculous acronyms from space. Yes, and I, I feel like that's a brilliant idea, and we're going to have to do that. That's a v- very good idea. I support drafts, by the way. It's drafts true. are good in podcasts. You should do them. You do do them. <laughs> Everybody should do them. All right, uh, let's take a break tell you about one of our sponsors for this week this episode is brought to you by expressvpn you've probably seen a lot of reports in the media about security breaches lately they happen everywhere you start to wonder where your data is going um sending an email could potentially put private information at risk you're being tracked by social media sites and possibly even your internet provider they can record your browsing history and sell it to people who want to profit from your info. Take back your privacy with ExpressVPN. It secures and anonymizes your internet browsing. It encrypts all your data, hides your public IP address. You can turn it on with just one click, and then you're protected. It has easy-to-use apps. They run seamlessly in the background on your computer or your phone or your tablet, and it costs less than $7 a month. It was the number one rated VPN service by TechRadar. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there is no worry. If you don't like it, you can get your money back. And if you ever use public Wi-Fi, like uh, down at the local Starbucks or whatever, and you want to keep the bad guys away from your data, you don't want to really send that unencrypted on a password-free Wi-Fi setup. You want to use a VPN like ExpressVPN. I have used it. It's super easy to use. Tap a couple of buttons, and you're connected, and then everything that you do on your device. I was using it on my iPad, just launched their app. Make one tap, and then I am, uh, I am someone else and somewhere else, and all my data is encrypted. Very nice. Uh, to know that, especially if I'm working at Starbucks or something like that. Protect your online activity today. Go to expressvpn.com slash liftoff. And if you don't want your online history in the hands of your internet provider or data resellers, ExpressVPN is the answer. Go to expressvpn.com slash liftoff. Three months free 
with a one-year package. Once again, that's expressvpn.com slash liftoff for three extra months free with a one-year package. Thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting Liftoff and all of Relay FM. So, Jason, I saw this story you put in here about rotation at Saturn. So what's going on here? Yeah, uh, this is a story that would seem easy and also seems ridiculously hard. And it's because of a matter of perspective. So who would think that there would be a story in the year 2019 where scientists are figuring out the rotation of a planet in our solar system, right? Like we can see (laughs) exoplanets. Right. We got... We got, we're flying by Kuiper Belt objects. We're looking for Planet Nine. There's all of this stuff going on. And then there's Saturn, which is kind of a featureless ball. Like, the rings are great, but the Saturn itself is kind of a featureless ball. It's hard with a gas giant, especially, to tell, like, what is the rotation? Is it the clouds at the equator? Is it clouds higher up? Is it the the um, core there's also kind of like the slushy icy part like would you consider that the like how how often that turns around is that it so there's been great debate about the actual rotation of saturn and a story came out in this past week where scientists have teased out what they view is the most precise and accurate rotation of saturn ever and what they did was they measured oscillations of tiny particles in the rings of Saturn, in the innermost ring that create these spiral wave patterns that form that can be measured. And basically they can measure the period of that. And what they're measuring is what the the, the heavy part in the middle of Saturn is, is rotating and they can see the pattern. And they came up with 10 hours, 33 minutes and 38 seconds of rotation. So great. Congratulations to them. Problem solved. Except... Except, uh, and we'll put a link in the in the show notes to this story by Phil Phil Plate at Sci Fi Wire. Um, uh, the note I have down here is: Have you ever really looked at your hand, man? <laughs> like, <laughs> what is a day really? Is it like the the cloud tops or the ice or the core or the magnetic field? What, what is there really a day on a gas giant, man? And it really is a can of worms. It's like what you know what what how you define it like it's not the concept of a day basically is uh invented by um you know us on our little rocky planet that we live on where the little rock spins around but on a gas giant or even a nice giant like it's different it's complicated it's not it's not the same kind of concept and once you think about how we define what a day is it does get really interesting Mm -hmm. so uh it is a can of worms but this is a very clever result using very careful observations uh mostly from cassini i think of um these oscillations in the innermost ring of saturn which give them a totally different kind of result but a very very accurate result uh that is probably how the you know main mass at the center of saturn is spinning yeah and you kind of route off like how do you pick the metric where you define this but it could even be the true that it spins faster or slower at the center than it does at the cloud tops right like you can't sure like you can just like stick your finger in it somewhere and like oh it's a day because it's going this fast here well that's not true everywhere and these planets are so different from our own it's like you said the the definitions we have the language we have to describe inner rocky planets that's not universal these things are different um i was thinking about this i read this article and then i saw a tweet uh marking this week marks the 33rd year uh 
of NASA Voyager passing Uranus. And <laughs> A, I always forget that was the same week of the Challenger disaster. Like, right, it was which like also the... means the same week you were born. That's true. Happy 33rd birthday. Thanks. Uh, thank you. <laughs> but we, you know, like you said, you, you really summed up exactly what I was thinking. We know an increasing amount about exoplanets and about all of these far-flung things. But we have our own neighbors in the solar system where with Uranus, we've, we're there once. It was a flyby with Voyager 33 years ago. That yeah. has been it. It, you know, uh, we talked about this with Emily. We talked with other guests. Outer solar system planetary exploration takes time. It takes money. And there's nothing stopping us from going except time and money. And I, I for one, think that we need to revisit our neighbors out there in the outer solar system. Yeah, Uranus and Neptune, I mean, ice, the ice giants are very interesting, they may be more common kinds of planets in the galaxy than we really understood at the time. And both of them, we just kind of like scooted past with a Voyager and then that's it. So um, I agree with you. I mean, we, we talked um, about uh, not spending as much time on Venus and all of that, but like outer solar system, that's a good example. We have done a lot, understandably, with Jupiter and Saturn. But I agree with you. Uranus and Neptune are vo- both very interesting uh, interesting moons and interesting planets and there are things we could learn and it does seem a shame that I mean it's great that we did that flyby don't get me wrong that grand tour flyby was great but the fact that there's been no follow up uh, to those planets uh, it would be great if that happened I don't know if anybody's proposing something like that but wouldn't it be nice to have some sort of a maybe you build two and you send one to each of them I don't know but it would be nice to get something in orbit too that could do detailed science because we got the flyby, but that's all, and uh, and get the kind of science that we get from something like Cassini at uh, at, at Saturn, or all the different uh, you know Jupiter probes that we've had uh, over the years too. You know that would that would be nice to, to have mm-hmm. something in system, and uh, yeah, we thirty three years. It's too long. Yeah, there was actually a a joint NASA ESA Uranus Pathfinder mission that had been proposed by a group in the United Kingdom that would have uh, used the Atlas V basically to uh, to launch a, a probe to go spend time hmm. in the Uranus system. And it uh, didn't uh, really go anywhere, uh, as we know, because uh, we would have actually known about this before. I, I, I had to do <laughs> some Googling to find, like, has anybody actually tried this? It just is a is a low. Um, I guess it's a, a low desire on the the larger community to do this. Yeah, but I, a Uranus orbiter was proposed as part of the decadal survey, mm-hmm. and yet mm, nothing has come of it. Uh, so I guess there's some talk about a mission in the 2020s, but like it's basically just kind of floating around out there, which yeah. is uh, frustrating. Yep, it is. Maybe one day. I'd love to have an episode of the show at some point where we talk about that, but today's That'd not that day. If it's going to be in the triple digits, for sure. <laughs> so not in the next uh, the next six months. We we do need to talk while we're talking about exploration on other planets. We need to check in with Opportunity on Mars. JPL had an article up this week looking and talking about the uh, basically the timeline of, of what's left to do to try to to wake Opportunity up, to see if Opportunity can contact us. You know, as a little recap... In June of 2018, there was a planet-wide dust storm 
that it's believed basically just covered the solar powered rover. Like, you know, uh, Curiosity is it has a nuclear power plant, so it can survive these dust storms. As long as it doesn't get too cold, it'll be okay. But when you're solar powered, uh, you can't deal with a bunch of dust. And there was hope that uh, maybe a windy vent or something could could clear the dust off enough that it could wake up. That has actually happened in the past. But it seems like maybe that's not going to be how this story ends. So uh, there's an interview also in the New York Times about this. JPL and NASA have been doing uh, what they call sweep and beep, which as a side note is like a great name for a project. Uh, <laughs> I'm a sucker for things that rhyme, I guess. But the idea here is basically um, sending commands and waiting for it to respond. And that's been going on now f- for a little while. It's going to continue for several more weeks. Um, they're looking at the X-band radio. Uh, you know, that may have failed, but there's also issues potentially like with the internal clock. So it may be that opportunity is awake and it maybe can even receive this, but they can't, it can't send a message back out due to an issue with that internal clock or the, or the onboard computer could have a fault. Right. So it's, it's unknown. We may never know, but it seems like we're getting towards the end of an opportunity to, to find this thing. Oh. May I say what I did? It's good, right? Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Because the uh, the winter is coming again, where it is, and that is uh, that's not good. No, it's uh, I, I like the idea that they've tried all their normal things, so now they're getting the wacky ideas of what if the radios have failed, what if the clock is wrong, what if it's listening at the wrong time, and they're they're trying that, but they're running out of hope. They're they're sending these little messages in a bottle of like like if you get this, this is what the time actually is, and this is what you should do. Just hoping that it will hear them, but it may just be a goner and. Uh, and if so, it will have, you know, lasted far more than anybody expected it to and done a great job. But I like oh, that yeah. they're trying to, to, to wake it up, but it may be, may be the end and that would be okay in the end. Yeah, I mean, it landed 15 years ago. <laughs> that is yeah. a heck of a run for something that was supposed to last 90 days. Yeah, exactly right. It's been longer than 90 days for sure. Yeah. <laughs> success. Check so, the success. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think we're going to keep an eye on, on this story, but... It seems like NASA and JPL are sort of coming around to the fact that this may be this may be over. Uh, there were also a couple of stories I wanted to talk about um, with some other private space companies. So we talked about SpaceX for a little while, but of course they're not the only ones. Uh, Virgin Galactic and its crazy VSS Unity and its Spaceship Two and like all this stuff they're doing, uh, they have moved. Um, into some more thorough testing. They have an eye towards space tourism and other things coming up very soon and have laid off some staff um, to what the company says is basically to realign and prepare for commercial operations. So this this article made the rounds a couple of days ago, and it, it marks like 5% of the overall workforce, about 40 people or so. It's not a big company. I was actually surprised uh, – at its small size, honestly. But uh, it seems like those those staff, those positions were maybe more involved in the in the engineering and testing side of things. And as that winds down and, and flights with paying customers, I guess, start to spin up that those just weren't needed anymore. Sure. Um, every time we cover this, we talk about this in tech too. It's always sad to talk about layoffs. It's always sad to talk about people losing their jobs. Um, but it is part of a 
part of this ecosystem of these companies that are doing things very rapidly and trying to implement new things. Like Spaceship Two is sort of a crazy deal, and they uh, seem to be making adjustments as they go as they as they near that that future they see for themselves. Yeah, we talked about this last time with SpaceX. It's the same thing that they're they're. Uh, it's kind of a natural. It's actually a sign of maybe um, maturity in the commercial space outfits that they're doing this because I don't think it's necessarily that they're doing badly, but that they're changing gears and also that there's so much going on that they have to react to uh, what's happening in the rest of the industry. The other one I think is maybe maybe more interesting because of what you just said. So Strato Launch, which is based in Seattle. Remember, it was created by Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen, who passed away last year. Uh, they had a program Basically, they're working on like the world's largest airplane, and this plane was designed to serve as a launch pad for rockets. So we've seen this with a couple of NASA missions, even talking about uh, Virgin Galactic a second ago. Basically, you right. you fly a rocket into the upper atmosphere where the air is thinner, and you drop it from the plane, and it lights. And you don't have to worry about going through the lower atmosphere and all the fuel. Fuel makes it heavier. So, you know, that, that sort of cycle to get off the ground, you can lessen its severity if you launch from the atmosphere itself. But mm-hmm. Stratolaunch is backing off some of that as well. They've laid off 50 people or so. They say it's, and I'm quoting... Streamlining strategy, which is just a real fun phrase, I guess. But uh, they were they had a program to develop a new type of rocket engine and like a new line of rockets to use with this large airplane. And it seems like that program has been dialed back a bit. Yeah, I read a story about this that was, um, you know, they can use other people's rockets. Mm-hmm. So they're not giving up on the concept, but they are not going to build their own straddle launch rocket to launch on, under their plane. They're they're still going with the plane thing. But they're trying to use other people's rockets. I did read a story that is a little more negative towards straddle launch, suggesting that their business model um, in as other competitors come online that are offering launch capabilities that are cheaper it is making it harder for them to make the case because their whole idea was this is a cheaper way to launch right. because you can do it from the upper you know upper reaches of the atmosphere but it's sounding like other competitors are making that tougher for them and that that there may be a question about the overall business model and now that strata launch doesn't have paul allen kind of there to give the thumbs up that that it's his family and it's unclear kind of like what the destination for all of his uh, all of his companies is going to be that once you know I worked at a company like this once the the billionaire who is in charge is gone the people who pick up the pieces are going to make different decisions than the uh, than the billionaire would yeah I, I think that's right on I mean you look at something like Blue Origin or SpaceX again with like a billionaire leader there's a very clear vision from that leader, maybe not with SpaceX, but there's some sort of vision. <laughs> uh, put everybody on Mars, everyone will be saved. But yeah, I think that's that's always a risk at, with these companies that, you know, you see it in NASA, right? We've talked about this a bunch where an administration changes and all of a sudden the journey to Mars stuff gets packed away and put in a closet and we talk about going to the moon again. And we eventually go nowhere because it's just ping pong between goals. Private companies are immune from that to a degree, right? Like if they, if they work with NASA or work with other agencies, you know, that could affect their business. 
But they can have a goal and push towards that goal without the goal changing unless they just decide that it changes, right? So Blue Origin, Jeff Bezos, they're building Blue Origin and to at first be space tourism stuff, right? They just had a test launch uh, a couple of weeks ago and every third sentence was about the beautiful windows in the capsule and how it's the biggest windows in this capsule, blah, 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 blah. Cause it, that's what they're doing. They want to do space tourism first, but Bezos sees that as a way to fund and to work out the kinks in a platform where blue origin can become like the AWS of space. So like if you just <laughs> need to launch something, you just go to them and they do it for you, right? That's where he wants to be. It's a pretty clear vision. And they've been working, knocking down milestones as they go towards that vision. But, uh, you know, when that person leaves or something happens, like you said, that, that can be called into question. And, you know, I think Strata Launch has, has some good ideas. I think clearly they have engineering and uh, manufacturing skills that, you know, are valuable. They, they've, this airplane they've built is just absolutely wild, but maybe they've decided they could shed some of it. Or like you said, go to a partner, go to Jeff Bezos or whoever and say, Hey, uh, you know, we want to, to give you an opportunity to, you know, we can work in this other way too. So it's a story to keep an eye on. You know, I, I never really knew where to categorize strata launch before just because they're, they're so different from some of these other companies. But I think it'll be interesting to keep an eye on them and see uh, where these chips fall. Does this continue to be a company that they're they're pushing this this air platform or do they sort of quietly fade over time? Yeah, well, we'll have to watch it. But um, this is the... The competition, right? They're going to be winners and losers. There's a lot of competition for access to space, which is great because there's going to be more access to space than ever, and it's going to be cheaper than ever, but some of them aren't going to make it. And the same is going to be true of access to space for tourists. So, you know, what is it going to be Blue Origin or, or Virgin? Are they going to quickly blow through the number of people who are willing to spend six figures on, uh, you know, very brief bit of weightlessness? Or is there going to be an ongoing industry or are they going to have to cultivate it and move on to the next thing and spend more money it's right. all kind of a mystery i think that's why the blue origin business plan seems so smart to me that like right space tourism is not going to be for everybody it's going to be for the one percent but as many people as could afford it like a very small percent of them will want to do it and they're going to have options like that's not a way i don't think to build a sustainable company that's going to last 50 years but if you use that to get people in the door and then you do what Bezos says he wants to do and you become basically a utility to get things and people into space, then, you know, you can move from one to the other and survive. So, you know, any company that's saying just space tourism, I'm always I'm looking for, OK, but what what about past that? Because that is not a in my mind, at least I could be wrong, but in my mind, not something you could build on for decades and be sustainable but mm. maybe i'm wrong but it just it feels to me like that's not enough to keep a business that's this large is this expensive to run you're manufacturing rockets and motors and this is all extremely expensive and i don't know if it could be funded just through some like rich dudes going to low earth orbit maybe but yeah. i don't think so maybe. they're not getting my money jason as we've no, no, they need to be a lot cheaper, and by that I mean it's basically they're never going to be cheap enough. So they, <laughs> my, my feet yeah. belong here on the ground. 
yeah, I might need a new car instead. Like, <laughs> I mean, seriously, or 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 to fix something in my house or to pay for my kids to go through college. Yeah, it's not, it, you know, it, it is interesting to think about that, like space tourism stuff as being kind of parade of people with lots and lots and lots of money. And that's great. But, you know, that's going to be a tiny, tiny set of people. And, and we are not them. All right. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more, uh, a couple more stories, but I want to tell you about our second sponsor this week. This episode of Liftoff is brought to you by our friends at Casper. Casper is the company focused on sleep, and they're dedicated to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. This this number seems wild to me, but it's true. We spend a third of our life asleep, at least if you're sleeping the recommended time. And if you spend a third of your life doing anything else, you'd want to make sure it's the best it can possibly be. And that's why you need Casper. Casper mattresses are perfectly designed for humans with engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry. It's got all the right support in all the right places. So what goes into this? What makes a Casper mattress so comfortable? Well, they combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality mattress with just the right sink and bounce. Casper mattresses are designed and developed in the U.S. and their breathable design helps to regulate your body temperature throughout the night. And with over 20,000 reviews and an average rating of 4.8 stars, Casper is very quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. And you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. They deliver it directly to your door, and if there's any reason you don't love it, Casper has a hassle-free return policy. So my wife and I have had a Casper for many years now, and we really love it. So here in the South, it gets hot in the summer, hot and humid, and in the winter, it gets pretty cold, and the Casper is comfortable year-round. You know, our old mattress, like in the summer, you kind of sink into it too much, and it got, it's not not comfortable. Uh, the Casper is great year-round. You can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash liftoff and using the offer code liftoff at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's casper.com slash liftoff and the offer code liftoff to get $50 towards select mattresses. We thank Casper for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we talked about the government shutdown and how that affected launches and uh, ongoing missions, but it also affected the day of remembrance. So at the end of January every year, the date moves around a little bit, but at the end of January, NASA marks its uh, annual day of remembrance because you have three uh, missions, three disasters, really, at the end of January. So January 27th, 1967 was Apollo 1. As you mentioned earlier, January 28th, 1986, uh, seven astronauts lost their lives aboard Challenger. And then February 1st, 2003, uh, seven more aboard Columbia as it broke apart part during re-entry. So NASA uh, honors these fallen astronauts and their families um, at this event every year. And uh, Brian Stein sent a letter out last week saying that due to the shutdown, you know, a lot of NASA employees were furloughed. A bunch also were working without pay. Uh, we heard we heard from uh, a couple of different people uh, giving us stories of that. But uh, he wanted the NASA family to be together, so they postponed it. I don't think there's a date yet. I looked today. I couldn't find one. But uh, these are, are normally held at the Astronaut Memorial Foundation Space Mirror, which is at uh, Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex. Um, if you've never seen this, uh, I have some links in the show notes. You should look at pictures of it. It's really uh, a beautiful spot. 
They also hold uh, events at Arlington National Cemetery where some of the astronauts are buried. Uh, memorials are in place there for Challenger and Columbia. And uh, Apollo, there's an Apollo 1 memorial that's in the works to be at Arlington as well, which I think is is really awesome and quite frankly, drastically overdue. Um, so I, I just bring this up, one, to mark this occasion, because I think it's important to talk about this when it comes around. But, you know, these sort of shutdowns, they affect lots of people in lots of different ways. And there are lots of stories about that in the news. But this is like another example of how it affected this corner of uh, the, the federal government. Yeah, and it is. It's a, The memorial is beautiful. And it is. I mean, I wish you a happy birthday before. Unfortunately, your birthday does coincide with the this. This is the people don't believe it when I tell them like within a week is the anniversary of all of the NASA mm-hmm. fatalities. Um, so uh, I had a uh, I wanted to mention a couple of things. Uh, I recently read Bringing Columbia Home by Leinbach and Ward. We'll put a link in the show notes. Hard read, tough, tough read, but a good book about the recovery effort in Texas and Louisiana of the Columbia. Because, of course, the Columbia uh, broke apart on reentry and scattered its debris field over an enormous area. And if you've ever wondered sort of like, how did they find, I forget what, it's like a third of the of the mass of the shuttle they picked up off the ground mm-hmm. in Texas and Louisiana and brought back to Florida and assembled in a in a warehouse basically um and they recovered the bodies of the astronauts and so it's it's grim and yet it's also a really kind of amazing story about how they put together the logistics of this mission and uh, working with the people in Texas and people from NASA and grieving astronauts and the whole thing. Um, and so if you're thinking about this, if you're pondering this sort of stuff, that's a, that's a good read. Um, like I said, it's the subject matter. It's very, it's difficult, but it is uh, well done. And I'll recommend uh, something that I've mentioned on here before, uh, which is a TV movie starring William Hurt as Richard Feynman called The Challenger Disaster, which is about the Challenger Accident Investigation Board and um, what they discovered about the cause of the Challenger. And I am happy to report that that um, TV movie is on Amazon. So it's not for, it's not free on Amazon Prime Video. You have to buy it. But it's it's uh, you can just buy just the movie for, I think it's like two or three bucks. And uh, I liked it. It's a good uh, movie. And, you know, Feynman is at the center of it. But it's it's an interesting view into the uh, the period of uh, uh, in 86 at NASA. And uh, so if your mind is, is focused on those, I wish I had a good Apollo one thing to recommend. Um, I feel like uh, first man uh, deals with Apollo one a bit. The, the Ryan Gosling movie that uh, I think is just now out for people to watch uh, at home and uh, from the earth to the moon, which is that great miniseries produced by Tom Hanks. That is, I think only available if you can go find the DVDs somewhere. And I was really hoping would maybe get remastered and released this year for the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, but that doesn't seem to have happened yet. Anyway, um, they have an Apollo one episode that's, that's good in that set, but um, that's, that's what I could come up with in terms of sort of like for further reading about these, uh, the, you know, the events that lost the lives Mm -hmm. of these uh, what 17 astronauts. I also have in the show notes, an episode to lift off episode nine, where we talked about the space shuttle. Yeah. (laughs) 
uh, a long, long time ago. We talked about the shuttle, and we, we touched on these two disasters and that. Uh, I think at some point we need to go into them in more detail probably, but... I think so. The, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of material. Um, the movie's great. Uh, Bringing Columbia Home is is great as well. So you've got... Um, you got some homework if you want to go uh, learn more about these. Yeah. Well, I think that does it. I think that brings us to the end. Yeah, that's uh, episode ninety. It's it's gone. Uh, it's gone so fast. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot. Again, I'll point out as I point out before, uh, and and often, uh, we were worried that there wouldn't be stuff to talk about on liftoff. So that is not a problem. <laughs> the uh, if you want to find links and stuff articles things we've talked about head over to the website relay.fm slash liftoff slash 90 while you're there you can get in touch you can follow a link to the tumblr page where we post links in between episodes uh and of course you can find us on twitter jason is j snell and you can find me there as ismh until our next fortnight jason say goodbye goodbye everybody adios